All right, so Acts chapter 16. Paul was working his way towards a whole nother direction in his life. And he wanted to get up into Asia. Now, please note when I say Asia, I'm not, I'm not talking about the massive continent of Asia. I'm talking about Asia Minor. Um, I don't think I clarified that last week, but he was specifically, specifically trying to get into Asia Minor. But the Holy Spirit was saying, no, you can't go. That's not for you. That's not, it's not the time for that right now. Now, if, if you understand the geography there and, and how the gospel has gone out, Peter got to minister into some of the areas where Paul was told no, okay? So sometimes God tells you no because he doesn't want you to go there because he's got somebody else he's going to send there. And you're like, but no, I really want to go there. Um, and the Lord's like, yeah, but I really don't want to use you there. I want you to go somewhere else. Here's the cool thing about this, though. Uh, I was just talking to a good friend of mine this week, and as he's praying through what, what the next step is for him, following the Lord. It feels like the Lord's stirring within his heart, you know, wanting him to move on. And um, he had this thing happen, and you, you know what this is like. You've felt this before, where you, you kind of like, you want to go somewhere because you really like that place, but then you automatically discredit that because you're like, well, no, see, God wouldn't, that's not God, that's me because I want to go there. And it's like, and I told him, I'm like, I won't use his name because maybe he's watching. I'm like, dude, and that's what I call him anyway. So, dude, um, I'm like, that's not the God I serve. I don't identify with that God. Okay, now I do know that there are times where God will call you into places where you don't want to go. I get it. I understand that. But I also understand that there are times where God will let you, allow you to go to places that you actually are excited to go to. See, we don't ever really talk about that too much because we always, you know, it's that thing. Like people get saved and they're like, oh man, I hope God doesn't call me to Africa. I don't think I want to go to Africa and all this stuff. And it's like, well, but why, then why would he want you there? Right? Maybe he wants you there so you can learn like, well, you, you just need to learn to be submissive and go wherever he calls you to. But maybe he's like, well, what do you like? What do you like? You like that little tropical island in the Caribbean? That's not a bad place to go. Oh, yeah. Well, do they need the gospel? Knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Does Galveston need the gospel? Yeah. You like Galveston? Yeah. Go to Galveston. It's not hard. It's, it's not rocket science. It's not like, but it's like, oh, no, see, because I want it, then that means it's bad. Not, like, that's not how it always works, okay? It's not how it always works. Paul, he wanted to go to these places, and the, the Holy Spirit was closing the door on some of these areas. Now, some of these areas he would get to overlap with, right? But it just, it's not right now. The one place that was really on his heart that he, we believe that he really wanted to get to was Ephesus. And he made it to Ephesus. He desired strongly to go to Ephesus. And what did God allow in his life? To go to Ephesus. See, sometimes God works that way. And that's okay. And that's okay. Because he really is good and loving. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And he's wired you in certain ways. And it's like, and that's what I told my friend. I'm like, there's a reason I'm not in Canada. That God has not called me to Canada. Because he know I hate cold weather. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I don't care how beautiful it is. That's fine. I'll look at pictures. Like, I, that's cool. I am not living up in this frozen area, okay? I'm just not. The Lord, and why would he send me up there? 
well, you just got to get over it. I don't think God works that way all the time. I think sometimes God's like, all right, so where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Because it's not really the where, it's the what. It's not the where, it's the what. What are you going to do wherever it is that you go? You're going to represent Jesus. You're going to be on mission for him. So that's Paul. So you can come up to a door and, it be, and you knock on that door. You want to press in. You want to go that direction. And the Lord says, no, cool, all right. So move on to the next door. You just move on to the next door and you keep knocking. You stay persistent and you just keep following the Lord and understanding that he's going to guide and direct you where he wants you. And what we know from Paul's time in, in Philippi, he absolutely fell in love with the place. And it's not that he didn't want to go there. He just had in his mind, I need to go to this region. And God's like, well, I'll get the gospel there. I, w I want you to check out this place. Paul goes there, falls and loves there, okay? So let's look at this little encounter, the scenario. When we last left off, there was this vision. It was, a, it was like a, <clears throat> excuse me, a dream. And this man from Macedonia is, is saying, hey, come over to us, right? So they're, they're like at the coast. There's nowhere else for them to go, but really <clears throat> across the Troas, all right? So to Macedonia, which will then lead them into, um, well, they are in, they're in Troas, and then they're going to go to Macedonia, to Philippi, the, the chief city there. But there's, a, there's this guy in this dream at night, or actually a vision at night, and he's saying, come over to us. Please come to Europe, right? That's, that's technically where this is at. Come to Europe. Who's the guy? We don't know. Some of the best thought is maybe that was Luke, right? That could have been Luke, that actually could have been Luke because we know they pick up Luke here in the story. Um, you know, it, it goes from they to we. If, you, if you're reading through the story, you, you notice those personal pronouns, they, they switch. So there's the vision and Paul wakes up or concludes that the Lord is calling us over there. So let's just go over there. So that's where we pick up. Verse 11, therefore, okay, selling from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, or Samothrace, uh, and that's like, they were, they were booking it, like they were going. Um, uh, it's almost like, it's, it's when you finally, you're praying, and the Lord opens up like, okay, this is where I want you to go, it's like the, that Holy Spirit, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit just fills your sails, and you are booking it. You know, you caught that good wind, and whew, you're right there. This is what's happening for them. So they came, uh, the next day they came to uh, Neapolis or New City is how you can technically translate that. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. It's a Roman colony. And they were staying in that city for some days. So Philippi, named after Philip, um, he and uh, I can't remember the other guy right now, but they, they took out some uh, assassins. Uh, and he claimed the city for himself, basically, and so named it after himself. It's an official Roman colony, meaning it's a little Rome, okay? Little Rome, Paquito Rome, okay? So um, that plays into, into effect here because Paul, spoiler alert, is a Roman citizen. He's a Roman citizen. So they are in a Roman colony, a Roman town that functions as if it is Rome. Same rules, same everything, 
okay? So this is where they go, and they spend some time in that city. They're there for some days, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Well, this is fascinating. So there's not enough, more than likely, there's not enough Jewish men. You need 10 to start a synagogue. Well, there's more than likely, there's not enough Jewish men living in the city. So there's no synagogue because that's where Paul would go. Customarily, he always went to the synagogue. Well, there's not, but there's a prayer meeting. There's a prayer meeting, and it's hosted by ladies. Well, okay, so if I'm going to write a book on how to start a church, how to start a church, well, most books you read concerning how to start a church don't start this way. They don't start with like, okay, so um, pray about it. Well, most of them start that way, right? They're, I'm not going to discredit all of them, but most of them, a lot of them are like, okay, get your funds together, right? Which I don't think is technically necessary, all right? So most of them aren't going to say, all right, so um, do, your, do your research on the town. Know the population, know the, the average income and all that good stuff. You got to do all this stuff. You got to do all your research, 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 right? And then figure out that, and then you build a team, and then you show up with your team, and you built the team, and you, you flood, you all those, you know, advertise, 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 you get it all going, and then you do a soft open, and then you do the full-blown full grand open, party, celebration, all this good stuff. That's how you start a church now in America. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I also don't see a lot of that. Not in this story, anyways. Paul's like, there's no church here. There's no synagogue. Oh, but there's some ladies praying out by the river? Sweet, we're going to a prayer meeting. Come on, Timothy and Silas. We're going to go crash this ladies' prayer meeting. And that's what they do. They show up. The best way to start a church is with some Gentiles who are praying. Oh, and by the way, they're women. <gasps> oh, no. Get over it. They're women and they're praying. That's, the Lord is doing something here. And Paul is smart enough, being led by the Spirit, saying, you know what? That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. He could have went around and, said, and looked for like, um, well, so he's got Timothy. He counts as a Jew, and well, Silas is there. And so, so we just need a handful of other guys, and we can start the synagogue. We can do this thing. No, no, no. There's already a prayer meeting. Let's just show up to the prayer meeting and see what the Lord does. That's a brilliant plan. That's a great plan. That's how you want to start a church, with prayer, with prayer. Okay, and sometimes the, the most powerful, the, I think the most powerful and effective weapon or tool in church planting is just prayer. Prayer of the saints. Prayer of the saints. There's been a lot of churches that have started because some ladies have gotten together and were praying. Okay, you guys know my hero, Britt Merrick, Reality Carpinteria. That church started because women were gathering together and they were praying. That's how that church started. Okay, it happens all the time. So that's what you want. That's what you want. I'm not bashing any church planting methods or anything. If it works, it works. Okay, whatever. I just look at this and I'm like, that sounds really sweet. What a cool story. How amazing is God? That he wants to start a church in Philippi, and what's he going to use? A women's prayer meeting. Who, who has issues with Jesus? Who, please tell me where you see that Jesus is anti-woman. 
please show me that. Because that's what I hear sometimes, and it's like, not here. Not here. He's, the church is st- being started because women are gathered together praying. He seems like he's pro these Gentile women. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. You don't hear these types of things getting celebrated, which is unfortunate within the churches, right? It's unfortunate. Can God use anybody? Yes. Yes. Praise God he does, because guess who falls within that category? Me and you. Okay? So it's a prayer meeting, and it's all ladies. And Paul's like, let's go hang out with them. So they go. They sat down. They spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. You know that city from Revelation chapter 3, okay? Revelation 3 and 4. That's one of the cities that's mentioned as far as when the seven letters go out. So she's a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. So here's here's the breakdown of Lydia. She's going to be our first individual in the church of Philippi, okay? Um, You got Lydia. There's a thought here that she might be a single lady on her own. We don't know. Don't know that for sure. But we know this. She's very industrious. She's a smart lady. She's, very success- she's a, successful, a successful businesswoman is what she is. She's a seller of purple, meaning this. Um, th- it takes a lot of work to, to get the purple dye, right? So there's these like sea creatures, almost like snail type things. You got to boil these guys down and then that's going to extract this purple kind of thing, fluid from them, and that's what you can use. That's one way to dye a garment purple. Well, she's like an expert at this and she is making money. She's very successful. How do we know she's successful? She has a house big enough to host Paul and Timothy and Silas because she she becomes their base camp, so to speak, during this whole journey. She opens up her home. She's also a, she's a religious lady. She worshiped God. That means that she's a Gentile. She's from Thyatira. She worshiped God. Uh, she's, she, wasn't a, she wasn't converted to Judaism, but she worshiped God. So she, that means she's a religious lady. But you can see right there on our screen, that's New King James, the Lord opened our heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Religious lady, not saved. She's wealthy, she's intelligent, she's at a prayer meeting, she's a, she loves God. But it wasn't until Paul showed up with the gospel that the Lord opened up her heart. This is so cool. This is amazing. She's there at this prayer meeting, and Paul, when they're, they're sharing, they're just sharing the gospel. They're sharing the gospel with this prayer meeting with these ladies, and Lydia's there, and she is focused in. And when Paul starts talking about Jesus and how he died on the cross and how he rose from the grave, she's like, I'm in. I'm in. That's what I've been looking for my whole life. That is exactly what I've been looking for my whole life. I love God. I love, you know, all elements. And she's, she's praying. She's doing all that stuff. But their relationship started on this day. The relationship started on this day. Best way to start a church. People getting saved people getting saved. And the first one is Lydia. And man, what a, I can't wait to meet Lydia. Like, I, she's one of those ones, like she's just mentioned here. And she'll be mentioned at the end of the chapter, but it's like, you get to heaven, it's like, okay, so where's Lydia at? Where's Lydia? 
Tell me what that was like. What was that like? You just showed up to a normal prayer meeting. This is just what you did. And then these three dudes show up and they start talking about Jesus and your life changed forever, forever. And we know it was real for her because you can tell by just her immediate response to her heart being opened up. So it goes on. The Lord opened her heart. That's the other key too. It's the Lord who opens the heart. You have this wonderful gospel message. You get to communicate this gospel message to people. You cannot save anyone. I don't care how eloquent you are. I don't care how great argumentatively you are, you know the debates and all this stuff. None of us are ever going to save anybody in our lives. You're not, okay? So immediately allow the Lord to lift that burden off of you. But you do get to introduce people to Jesus. You do get to share the gospel with people. And you never know. Because we always think it's like, well, I got to go, if I go street witnessing, I got to go to where all the bad people are. Good people are getting saved at church. <laughs> That's crazy. When I was at Bible college, we had people getting saved at Bible college. Students. It was the weirdest thing. You're at Bible college, and you're like, you're not saved? No, I'm not saved. <laughs> I was barely saved going into the thing, so I kind of understood. I, I had compassion for the, you know, individuals. But... You know what? The Lord can open up anybody's heart at any place, at any time, whether it's a church, Sunday morning service, a prayer meeting, some little conversation you're having with somebody at a grocery store where you can't really hear each other because you're so muffled with the mask on. You're like, what do you say? Um, can you speak up? Like, uh, the Lord, it's the Lord who opens the heart. So whoever you're praying for, this is what you're praying for that the Lord opens their heart. The Lord does it. You be there if you have the opportunity to communicate the gospel, to share the gospel. Or if you're not there, you can't be there, then you're praying, Lord, send somebody to share. Send a Paul, send a Silas, send a Timothy on the right day so that you, can, you open up the heart. It's a great thing. It's a tremendous thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So it's all God. It says, and when she and her whole household were baptized, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us. She pressed upon us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, this is a business lady who's all about the business, okay? So she's like, look, this isn't optional, okay? It basically is what she's telling them. She's like, okay, look, so uh, look, I'm getting saved. We're going to go to my house. We're going to share the gospel to all my household, okay? And so all my house, I want them all to hear this. And they're going to see maybe this lady who has come alive. We don't know how she was within her household or anything like that. There's no I indication of how she was. or All we know is she walks back into that house as a brand new Lydia, and she has all her household there, so that, does that mean she has kids? More, probably. She has servants that are working for her? Probably, okay? They all hear the gospel, and it says that they respond to the gospel as well, and then they're all getting baptized. This is incredible. So she gets, like, this is all in one day. 
She gets saved, the light comes on, takes these guys to her place, they share the gospel with them, and this is how the church of Philippi is starting. That's how it's starting. And not only that, but she's like, look, um, you're staying here. You're going to stay at my house. It's plenty big enough. You're gonna, if you're going to be here in town for a while, you're going to stay at my house, which is beautiful. It's crazy. That's so amazing. You couldn't ask for a better scenario. So as that's starting, so you've got Lydia, the first person, the first member of the Church of Philippi. It's Lydia, a Gentile businesswoman uh, who has now given her house over to these guys so that they can stay there and have nothing to worry about so that they can just continue on in the ministry, okay? Now it happened, verse 16, as we went to prayer, so they're continually doing the same. They're going to this prayer meeting, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divina uh, divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Oh, interesting. So now the, con now the conflict is coming in, because you got a prayer meeting, that's cool. Now people are getting saved, all right, so you can tell the spiritual warfare, it's already been there, this isn't new but it's getting amped up. And so here's this slave girl. She is owned by a few guys, right? And they are totally taking advantage of her. They are using her and abusing her. You need to understand that that's what's being talked about here, okay? They are taking full advantage of the slave girl who is possessed by a demon, literally. This is not like some no, this, this is literally, in fact, the spirit of div, uh, divination that it talks about here, there is a, um, it, it's, it's known as, in this region, the python. Python, okay? So this specific demon that has taken possession of her is known within that region as the python god. And he has wrapped himself around her. And they actually would have Part of their worship would be towards this, um, uh, this python uh, demon, uh, and I should have wrote some of this stuff down. I, names are, are slipping my brain right now. They may come back to me, but this is all like, uh, there was one lady that was associated with this, and people from all around would come to her to hear her uh, prophesy, basically, or fortune tell, or tell us what's going to happen to us and all this good stuff. When this is being written, Luke, who's, who's uh, the author of this, which I forget to mention that, Luke is part of this party too. Um, what, he, what, what the reference there is, is towards this Python uh, false god, okay? So this slave girl is possessed with this, this demon, and she is bringing her masters, plural, uh, much profit through this fortune telling. So clearly the the demonic spirit within her has some sort of ability uh, and some sort of success because people keep coming back to her and paying her, well, not her, she sees none of the money. She gets zero money, okay? Um, she, in one sense, is somewhat a kind of, she's a type of prostitute is really what she is, okay? Minus the sexual encounters, she's being used She's being used, number one, by a demon, but also by these men and by other people for gain, for their gain, okay? She's not going to see any of this money. So what we have is you go from a rich businesswoman who was religious to a poor slave girl who is not without hope, but in a state of hopelessness. 
being used and abused, chewed up and spit out by the system. She's following these guys around. It says, verse 17, she followed Paul and us. So that's Luke, again, in, inserting that. He, they, she followed us, crying out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. You're like, okay, so what's the problem? Well, there's a big problem. There's a really big problem. You're like, what, what she's saying is true. Yeah, there are certain spokespeople that you do not want representing the church. There are certain spokespeople that you don't want representing the gospel. A demon is not somebody you want representing the gospel because here's what's going to happen. As the crowds, they see Paul, they see Timothy, Silas, and Luke, and they're like, okay, well, we see what those guys are doing. Well, this girl is saying the same thing, so we can keep going to her, right? Because they're all on like the same team. They're not. Totally separate. Totally separate. And Paul allows this to go on for a few days, but he's going to get fed up with it. Because in, in the main thing for this is you want to know, like, no, look, I don't care what they say. It's not about what they say. It's about what they believe, and it's about what they live. And if your lifestyle doesn't, doesn't line up with what we're centered around, then it's like, don't, then the church doesn't need those representatives. The church doesn't need demons as their spokesmen, okay? They don't. Right? So that's what Paul is dealing with within the story. It says, as this goes on for many days, Paul, but Paul greatly annoyed or greatly distressed, like he's over it, turned and said to the spirit, now he's addressing the spirit, he's got no problem with the little girl, but he has got a big problem with the spirit. So says, the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. That's like the saddest verse. They don't care about this girl. They don't care about this girl. Paul does. But when they saw that their, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. And dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So why Paul and Silas? Why not Timothy? And why not uh, Luke? Well, Luke's a Gentile. And Timothy, his dad's Greek. So these guys are going to recognize, these Gentiles are going to probably recognize him more so as the Jews would recognize Timothy as Jewish. That's why Paul had him circumcised. The, the Gentiles are going to recognize Timothy because his dad's Gentile as a Gentile. That's why they're not grabbed up. But Paul is Jewish. Silas, Jewish, and they just passed some laws saying, we don't want your religion in our town. We don't want anything that represents Judaism or anything like that. So they are seen, this is discrimination is what it is, but they see them as the enemy. So they snatch up these guys, but they, their, their hope for profit, it's gone. Like they're not going to make any more money. And this girl was only a means to an end. And so what are they going to do? They're going to get rid of her. She's worthless. We don't know what happens to this little girl. But you can speculate. Can't be dogmatic. 
here's what I think happened. This is what I think, okay? I think there's this crazy, amazing lady named Lydia living in Philippi who got saved. And I think probably, just speculating, with a house big enough for everybody, maybe she brings her into her home. Don't know. I don't know. You can ask Lydia when you get to heaven. And maybe there's this girl that's kind of tagging along with her in heaven. I don't know. But what a beautiful story that would be. Why wouldn't that happen? See, you already got little inclinations of Lydia by her saying, hey, all you guys, you're going to stay at my house. We don't know if Lydia was tagging along with these guys as they're making their way to the prayer meeting. We don't know if maybe Luke and Timothy went to the prayer meeting to say, hey, just so you guys know, Paul and Silas just got arrested, but they set this little girl free. She was demon-possessed, and they set her free. And I would like to think Lydia's like, where's that little girl? Where's that girl? Because I got a house big enough. That's what I'd like to think happens to this little girl. But we don't know. We don't know. But there's nothing to say contrary to that. It says they brought them to the magistrates. So they got the, they're dragging them to the officials. And they said, these men, being Jews, there's the problem. These men being Jews, this uh, anti-Semitism is what this is exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans. See, the law was already passed, that you can't show up and you can't, you can't spread your religion. You can't do that, right? If you're going to be a Christian, keep it to yourself. That was the law of the land. Now, technically, this was like towards the Jews. If you're going to be a Jew, then keep it to yourself. Don't go around trying to convert people, right? It's your own business. You can be a Jew, but you just can't, just don't sing in church. There's going to be some how to deal with city officials at the end of this chapter, just so you know, okay? Just saying, we're going to go into some interesting waters here. What really happened was not stated. The truth was not communicated. Because the, the biggest problem is the fact that they're like, hey, we had this demon-possessed girl. She was making us a lot of money. They ruined her. They ruined her. They broke our slave. So now deal with these guys. No, they had to, tr- they had to you know, kind of create these charges saying, look, look, they're going around teaching all this stuff, and it, it goes against the law, the law of the land. It says, the multitude rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, that's Paul and Silas's clothes, ripped their clothes off of them, and commanded them to be beaten with rods. No trial, no hearing them out, no nothing. They're like, what? Oh, you're, a, oh, no, okay, rip their clothes off, and let's just start beating them with rods. And in the Roman Empire, there's no real rules when it comes to beating criminals. There's not. What, what's the one rule? Well, either beat them till they die or beat them till you get tired. That's the rule. Imagine living back then. That's crazy. At least within you know, other territories and other, other you know, parts of the world that there were some rules that they had in place, like you know, 40 lashes minus one, so 39, you know, 39. Like, that's it. That's the maximum punishment. 
oftentimes within the Roman world, it was like, eh, just we'll leave it up to you to decide. They got beaten. Again, no, no trial, no hearing them out, no nothing. It says, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here's our, our third character of this story, the jailer. A hardened military guy. That's who he is. Most of the people living in Philippi are retired military people. Okay? And this guy's in charge of the prison. He probably has zero patience and zero tolerance for any troublemakers. And in fact, he gets word from these guys, and he's like, okay, I'll lock them up. But not, not only will I lock them up, I will put them in the innermost dungeon, and I will also put their feet in stocks. So there is no way these guys are going to get out of here, and they are going to know you don't cause trouble in my town. That's who we're dealing with here. So they get beaten up, they get locked up, and here they are in jail, and it's midnight. And you think what they would be doing is, well, what we see so oftentimes with like prison kind of movies and jailhouse movies and things like that, with the can on the bars, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, right? Like singing that song together, that's not what they're doing. It's midnight, and it says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Who are these guys? Who in their right minds can get treated unjustly, no trial, and it's going to come out that what these guys did was actually a crime. They com- there was a crime committed, but it was, against, it was the state or the city versus Paul. So there was a crime committed, but it was the other way around. And they got beaten with these rods. We don't even know how many times. And then they, they're roughly treated. We know that. They're locked into the inner cell. Their feet are in the stocks. And what do they have the audacity to do? Sing worship songs and pray. These are men that have been transformed by the grace of God. I don't know what your midnight hour looks like at times. We all go through seasons where it's a midnight hour for us. If I could encourage you to be like anybody, be like Paul and Silas, sing praises, pray, sing praises, flood your heart and your mind with worship, pray out loud, pray often. Here's the thing about, you know, these, these midnight hours, they don't last The sun will come up. The sun will come up. But you might as well sing. You might as well sing worship songs. You might as well praise him. Why? My circumstances tell me I shouldn't be praising him. My circumstances tell me that if I I should be doing anything, it's complaining because of the injustice that has been done to me. I'm going to call my lawyer and we're going to file a lawsuit because, man, it's like, no, no, no. Let's worship God. Let's worship God. You can deal with the other stuff later because there will be a time for that. Justice. There will be a time for justice. But never neglect singing the worship songs, singing the praises, and praying to God. 
back is all busted up. Their legs are all busted up. I don't know if you know how this works when they get beaten with rods, but more times than not, they would have them kind of, you remember the passion, right? That movie about Jesus dying and how brutal that was where they had him laying over this post and they ripped the skin off of his, the flesh off of his back. Like that would literally happen. Some kind of the same thing with these rods. Sometimes, you know, you, they could beat you while you're standing or they have you over this, whatever it may be. And they're going to town on your back and the backs of your thighs and your calves, and they're not trying to be like, okay, well, let's just get them where it's not going to hurt that much. Come on. They're beating these dudes. They're like animals, man. They're beating these guys like senselessly. And here's Paul and Silas. I, went, I can't do it here, but they're on their backs in the prison cell, in, in the dungeon. They're laying on their backs. They don't have a bed. There's no, none of that stuff. They're on the cold stone floor with their legs up in these stocks. And all that beating that they just endured, they are laying on those wounds in a very unclean, unsanitized prison cell. And they're singing songs to Jesus. And they're singing songs about Jesus. And they're praying, and it's, when they're praying, they're praying out loud. And the prisoners who saw these guys get drugged into this place are hearing them, and they're saying, like, what in the world? Who are these guys? Because nobody comes into prison singing any of these songs. Nobody comes in singing these types of songs. They're singing other songs, but nobody's singing these songs. So they, they caught on that these guys are different. Verse 26 the story progresses. Suddenly, there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were busted loose. This is an amazing earthquake. When it says it's a great earthquake, you need to understand this is a miraculous earthquake is what it is because apparently the epicenter is the prison itself. We don't know if anybody else in the town felt this earthquake. It doesn't tell us that. But we know that this prison felt it. And not only that, it shook the foundations. Immediately, all the doors were opened, and everybody's, everybody's chains were broken free. Well, what are you going to do if you're a prisoner in a jail? I'm gone. I'm out. Like, peace. I'm out of here, right? I'm gone. Here's, what, here's, here's what's amazing about this. This miraculous, God-ordained earthquake is what this is. It says, the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep. Like, there you go. Like, this dude is like, he's sleeping on a job. Which you can't blame him. It's midnight. He's, he, where are they going to go? They're not going to go anywhere. Oh, unless there's an earthquake and, all the, and it's, the prison's still standing, but all the doors are open and everybody's chains are broken free. This guy wakes up seeing the prison doors open, supposing, of course, the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. So just so you understand, um, culturally, it's on this guy. Any prisoner breaks out and gets away, then you, you serve his punishment, basically. And oftentimes, it's going to be like, well, they're just going to kill you. They're just going to kill you. So he's going to do the honorable thing, and he's going to take his own life, 
right? He's a hardened soldier, warrior, all that good stuff. And he's like, oh, man, how did this happen? Now they're, they're probably all gone, so I'm going to draw out my sword. I'm going to take my own life because that's the honorable thing to do. But Paul's like, oh, 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 hold on, hold on. We're still here. And not just me and Silas, we're all still here. How did they all still stay there and not run away? I, we don't know how many guys were in there, but there were other prisoners. Well, I think when you hear Christians singing hymns and worship songs at the midnight hour and praying out to God, and then an earthquake happens, you might stick around to figure out, like, what are you guys about? How can I have that peace that you have? Because I didn't get beaten, and I'm in jail, and I'm not singing any songs. I'm not praying. You guys got almost beat to death, and you're singing songs, and you're praying. I want to know what you have. Do these prisoners get saved? No clue. No idea. Do they remain prisoners after this story? Probably. Probably. But they all stayed. They all stayed. And this guy calls for a light, verse 29. He runs into there. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Incredible. What a question. What a beautiful question. And not like, oh man, I'm, I'm in for it. My bosses are going to kill me. So how do I get out of this mess? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is literally, how do I, how do I get what you have? How do I get what you have? What do I got to do to get saved? What do I have to do so that I can sing songs at midnight and so that I can pray? What, how do I get what you have? That's a tremendous thing. What a witness from Paul and Silas. What a transformation for this guy. I mean, he comes in and they tell him, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Why him and his household? Well, there's some things with that, but it doesn't mean that his household gets saved because he is saved. He's going back to his home as a new man, a new creation. Can you imagine? I mean, here's this, this guy, from what we know of him, more than likely he's this hardened guard. You know, he's running the prison ex-former soldier and all that stuff. We don't know what his family life's like, but they, he's going to walk in as a new person. His family's going to be like, what has happened to you? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And much like Lydia, his family's going to hear the gospel. The Lord's going to open up their hearts, and they're going to get saved as well. That's an encouraging thing, for sure. It's an encouraging thing, I hope, for all of you. For all of you. But when? It, does it happen in one day like Lydia or, or in one night in a matter of hours like this prison guard? It doesn't always happen that way. Maybe it takes time. But this guy's changed. They're like, listen, believe on the Lord Jesus. There you go. How do you get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus. There you go. Says he took them. This is the prison guy. He took them the same hour of that night, washed their stripes. He cleaned them up. Beautiful, beautiful story in and of itself. Immediately, uh, he and his family were baptized. So they heard the gospel. They received the gospel. And they're following the Lord in water baptism as well, just like Lydia and her household. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. So this whole family gets transformed. It's amazing what's happening here. And this is all like, still like, the sun probably hasn't even come up yet. 
But he's, he's feeding these guys. He's taking care of them. He's a completely transformed, changed man. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And because Christians know how to sing songs during their darkest times. And because there was Christians who knew how to pray during their darkest times. And you have people who don't know the Lord who will hear you. They'll hear you and they'll watch you go through these dark seasons. That's why you stay focused on Jesus. That's why you keep singing songs to him. That's why you keep praying because you never know who is watching and who is listening. You never know whose family is going to be turned around because of your bad season, your dark night. You never know how God will use that to transform other people. So they make it through the night, this last little section. Don't worry, this goes fast. It says, when it was day, the magistrates, these are the ruling officials, okay? These are like the ruling officials of this city. Sent the officers saying, let those men go. All right, hey, those guys that we beat and uh, we locked up, go ahead and, and let, those, let those guys go, right? Kind of sweep it under the rug, let them go. I think they learned their lesson, so let's let them go. That we'll never have to deal with these guys again. Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And Paul, being a very smart man, is going to say, you know what? Um, I, as a citizen of this country, have certain rights. And you, you infringed upon my rights. You broke the rules. You broke the rules. So now let's talk. So now let's talk. Be submissive to the government? Absolutely. Until it becomes contrary to what the word says. You got to know when to stand up. You need to know when to stand up. Praise God we live in a wonderful state where our governor is like, listen, you need to go to church. You should still go to church. And in fact, you should sing while you're at church. It is his recommendation that you should wear a mask when you're at church. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. He's not keeping you from church. But the moment anybody steps in and says, you cannot go to church, well, then we have an issue. Then we have an issue. Then passive, calm James turns a different, turns a different corner and says, hold on. Hold on. Because I am familiar with my constitutional rights. I do know that document. I do know other documents that are connected to that. Paul's like, um, before you sweep this thing away, I got some questions. It says, uh, the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Go, don't cause any more trouble. Just go, just go, just leave. And Paul's like, we just started a church. What's this going to say for the church moving forward if we just disappear? This city will never, they'll never recognize this church. They'll never respect this church. They'll never respect what the Lord is doing. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go in peace. I will not go in peace. And it's not for Paul's sake, and it's not for his freedom's sake. It's for other people's freedom. He tells them, Paul said to them, they have beating, beaten us with us openly, uncondemned Romans. 
Paul was technically a Roman citizen. They didn't know that. Because why? Because they judged him based on his appearance. You're a Jew. They didn't know he was a Roman citizen. And that was going to come back to bite them. He says, you beat us. You condemned us openly. You put us to shame. You don't, you don't beat Roman citizens like you did us. You, you did not do that. Absolutely, you, you would not do that at all. Not at all. They crossed the line. Why did they, they cross the line? Because they were Jews. They crossed the line because they were Jews. But had they known Paul was a Roman citizen, they would have never touched him. They would have never touched him. He says, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? Now you're going to put us, you want to sweep this thing away? I don't think so. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. I love that. Paul's like, I ain't leaving this jail. I'm not leaving. You get that mayor. You get that city official. You get those guys. You get them to come down here and open up these gates because I'm not leaving until they let me out. That's Paul standing his ground. And he has every right to do that because he's a Roman citizen. He had rights. And I don't care who's in charge. When you are going against the rights that you have established, you are wrong. You're wrong. Paul's like, I ain't ha- I'm not having it. No, this is unjust. This is not right. You come down and let me out yourself. I want you to escort me out of this place. That's like, well, that's, Paul's, getting, Paul's getting after it. Absolutely, because you've got to know when, you can, when to stand your ground. There are some battles that are not worth fighting. Wearing a mask going into Walmart is not a battle worth fighting. That's, that's silly. But I'm sorry, and I don't want me to overuse this, this illustration, but when you tell church people that they cannot, number one, that we don't even want you going to church, but if you show up to church that you can't sing, I'm sorry, but you are crossing boundaries. You are crossing the line. You are crossing the line. You've overstepped it, and that's not okay, and that should never be okay. Never be okay. Here's Paul. He's like, come get me yourself. Come get me yourself. Says, the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They're like, oh my goodness. Whoops. Come up and they're like, we might have a big loss. If it was modern days, they would have a lawsuit on their hands. They're like, we're going to lose our jobs. Yeah, you should, because you're incompetent. Because, because, and I can say that because they're basing judgment based on somebody's appearance. That's, how, how are you a leader and you act that way? Ridiculous. Anyways, so they're afraid. It says, when they came and pleaded with them, that, that's really, there's a strong wording there. It's pleading, it's begging. They're begging with them. They brought them out, and they asked them to depart from the city. And I love this. This is like the inner rebel in me, okay? Verse 40, the last one. It says, so they went out of the prison. They entered the house of Lydia. So these city officials are like, look, we are so sorry. Um, We got you a gift basket. Uh, We got you a town T-shirt. We're going to make, you know, 
This day will be officially be known as the Apostle Paul Day um, here in this town. Uh, what can we do to smooth this over? Because, man, if this gets back to our bosses, we're done. We're done. They're begging and pleading with, can you just please, I mean, can we make this right? We'll, we'll rent you a check. I mean, can you just please go? Can you just please go? And Paul's like, yeah, on my terms. I'll go when I want to go. I got some stops I got to make on my way out of town, right? And that's how I would be. I'd be like, yeah, I'll go, but I got some things I got some things I gotta do. And he's like, this is what he does. He entered the house of Lydia. He goes back to Lydia's house because he's gonna check on this new church. He can't just leave this town. He goes back to the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, so that's grown, that's kind of multiplied, even just within this matter of like a couple of weeks there, they encouraged them, this is Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they encouraged them and departed. Now, the thought here is that Luke stays behind because you know the personal pronoun changes. It says they encouraged them. So maybe Luke sticks around to help this new church and all that stuff. We're not too sure. But Paul's like, yeah, I think I proved my point. I'll leave your town. That's cool. I got to go by Lydia's house first. And I'm going to encourage these guys, and I'm going to encourage this new church to know, like, look, these guys, they will recognize you. They will recognize you, and that the Lord is doing something here. Don't let them scare you. Don't let them bully you. Don't let them do it. You have every right to be here. You have every right to be here. So that's Paul. That's, Philipp that's Philippi. So we're going to look next week into this very beautiful and very intimate letter that he writes to, to these people. We leave him off and we're like, so what happens? He's going to write a letter and he's going to, oh, it's so cool. It's so amazing to see what happens. So, I mean, how do you start a church? Well, some ladies getting together praying, perfect, amazing. Demon-possessed girl gets set free. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, notice that. It's too, you got a Gentile rich lady who's religious. She gets saved. You got a demon-possessed Gentile little girl, slave girl, she gets set free. She's probably part of the church as well. And then you got this Gentile, rough, rugged dude. He gets set free, transformed. That's how you start a church. That's how you start a church. That's amazing. So I'm going to pray. Um, I know it kind of got a little heavy there towards the end, but I'm just, I, let me just encourage you guys. Listen, know your rights. Know your rights. It's okay know your rights. And don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. Pick and choose, though, please. We don't need protests. We, my goodness, we don't need any more protests. We, we don't need protests because we don't want to wear a mask in Kroger's. That's nonsense. Wear the mask. Get over it. Let it go for a couple of weeks. Let this thing die down. Just be part of the solution. But when they start infringing upon your right to gather, then you stand up. Then you stand up and you say, hold on now, hold on. I have rights, I have rights. So pick and choose those battles, but again, lay everything before the Lord. Lay everything before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm just gonna trust you with this. I'm gonna trust you with this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much for, Lord, just that you're in control. <laughs> Lord, I, I am grateful for this, this country that we live in. Lord, as, as imperfect as it is and as stained as it, history has been, it's not all bad. 
It's certainly not all bad. There's been so many beautiful things that have happened in this world because of our short little history as a nation. So let us not forget that. Lord, I know sometimes the narrative right now is on all the bad stuff. Lord, there have been tremendously good things that have happened because of the United States of America. So we're grateful because we live here that it's not against the law for us to gather. Lord, it's not against the law for us to to sing songs of praises. And if we have to do that wearing masks, Lord, then, then help us to get over it and just wear the mask. Lord, may we know when to pick and choose and fight the battles, but Lord, I just pray that we're just trusting you. That we're just trusting you. And I pray that even in these midnight hours, maybe, maybe we're going through one right now, I pray that what the world hears from your church is singing songs of praise to you and praying. Let that be what they hear from us. Let that be what our coworkers hear, Lord. Let that be what our family members hear. As they're watching us, let them not see us as believers panicking or being overridden with fear and anxiety, anxiety and worry and all that stuff. Lord, let them see us singing songs of praise. Let them see us rejoicing in you. We do pray for our, our, this is our world right now. We pray for this thing to, I don't know, to go away, Lord, is what I would pray. But I, I just, I pray you'd help us to stay smart, safe, considerate, all that good stuff. But to stay focused on you, Jesus. To keep worshiping you because you and you alone are worthy of our praise. So we thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. Thank you for showing up in our lives and setting us free. It is you who has set us free, Lord, and so we thank you for that. Much like a Lydia and a demon-possessed girl and a Philippian jailer, Lord, we can relate to all those stories because it's you who opened up our hearts. It's you who set us free. So we thank you for that, Lord. Pray for anybody in the room right now who's struggling. I pray for your peace that surpasses all understanding to fill their hearts and their minds. Pray for any worry, any fear to be cast out by, perfect, by your perfect love. And I pray we can walk away from this place rejoicing in you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.